Alongside from Standard Club. Hello and welcome to Alongside, the podcast from Standard Club for the shipping industry across the world. I'm your host, Chloe Tilly, and each episode we'll be looking at different topics and meeting special guests. This time, we turn the spotlight on the shipping industry's role in protecting the critically endangered North Atlantic right whale and marine ecosystems. Well, joining us from Campobello Island is Maura Brown, senior scientist at the Canadian Whale Institute. Now, their vision is the sustainable coexistence of whales and humans. Hi there, Moira. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. And I understand that you live in quite a unique place. Tell us about it. Campobello Island is part of New Brunswick, Canada, but the only way that we can access the rest of Canada is to take a bridge over to Lubeck, Maine in the United States. And we don't have any gas or groceries on the island, so we have to go across for essential services. It sounds like a fascinating place. Well, it's great to have you with us, Moira. Also with us is Rihanna Carver, Director, Enterprise Project Management Office and Sustainability at CSL, the world's largest owner and operator of self-unloading vessels. Also, CSL are the longest standing member of Standard Club, over 100 years, and are board members of the club. Now, Rihanna, she's based in the more densely populated city of Montreal. Hi there, Rihanna. Hi, everyone. Yes, it, it might not be quite as fascinating as Moira's location but yeah I'm I'm talking to you all from the wonderful Montreal. Well it's great to have you with us. Now Moira let's start by talking about your research because I know that you've been researching right whales in the North Atlantic since 1985 so just tell us what it is about these mammals that inspire your passion for their conservation. Oh, you know, Chloe, there's just so much, there's so much mystery involved in North Atlantic right whales. So I first came down here in 1985 to the Bay of Fundy and actually from Montreal where I was born. So I'm, I'm quite familiar with CSL, having grown up watching the Lakers, you know, go up through the seaway. I guess the best way to describe a right whale is to say it's a full figure whale. <laughs> it's got a big girth. So this is a species that is, as an adult, let's say 17 to 18 meters in length, The females are about a meter longer than the males. So, you know, you're looking 55, 50, 55 feet. It's a big animal. They can weigh upwards of 50 tons, 60 tons as an adult. So this is a big rotund animal, but it's kind of more like a a buffalo. It's a grazer. So not grazing on grass, but grazing on plankton. So it's eating quite low down on the food chain. They have a pattern on the top and sides of their head that are called callosities. And, And think about the calluses that you get raking fall leaves. When they come up to the surface and exhale, that big blow is in the shape of the letter V. And that is unique to the large whales as well. So you can imagine being a whaler in Cape Cod in the 1600s and you're working the land and there's a like a lifeguard chair out on the beach, except it's someone spotting whales and they see that V-shaped blow. So that distinctive V-shaped blow, the propensity to be near coastal in their distribution gave the right whale its name from the whalers, the right whale to hunt, the right whale to kill. Rihanna, the right whale is a seriously endangered species. Their numbers are now less than 400. So how are right whales getting injured and dying? The two leading causes of death are really entanglement in fishing gear and, and collision with large vessels. So Sadly, both these causes are human activities. Um, However, to be optimistic, that does mean we also have the power to mitigate them. Tell us more about the the vessel strikes, because Moira has painted the picture of these being such large animals. Clearly, that is the challenge, isn't it? They're huge. 
Yeah, and I had an anecdote from one of our crew members when we were discussing this issue and, and it's going to sound a bit crude potentially, but that it's like a fly on the windscreen for a ship. They are huge animals, but we are operating extremely large vessels as well that often won't even notice if they do have a collision with a whale. And so what, what can be done? There's lots of activity ongoing to try and mitigate the risk of vessel strikes. Specifically in the Gulf of St Lawrence, there's been some trial periods over the last few years for detection and mitigation measures. Some of that includes hydrophone installations on glider called the Slocum Glider. So it's a submersible drone with a hydrophone attached that can detect whale sound and then notify ships where those whales are so we can slow down. There's also areas to be avoided, traffic separation schemes and voluntary and mandatory slowdown measures when whales are in certain areas. So there's lots of ongoing work from the regulatory bodies to try and address this issue. But I think there is lots more work still to be done. I'm sure Moira would probably agree with me on that one. Moira? The most important thing to realize now is biologists, you know, we can study right whales as much as we want. We can sit in the room with policymakers, but it is the bridge crews on the ships that are embracing these regulations and following them with a really high rate of compliance. They're the ones that are saving right whales right now. Moira, about 10% of the North America right whale population has been killed due to human interaction just since 2017. That is a serious setback to conservation efforts. Why are sustainable solutions not working quickly enough? It is no doubt a serious setback. And unfortunately, there is another factor, and that is entanglement and fixed fishing gear not just mortality from entanglement, but also serious injury, because we have learned that in addition to the mortalities that we have seen in this population, females who have suffered an entanglement, they're taking time to recover and delaying the amount of time until they have their next calf. So it's a bit of a double whammy from these entanglements. Uh, The injuries have reproductive percussions in addition, you know, to the mortalities that are being experienced. The measures in Canada, for the most part, except for the Cabot Strait measure, are, they are mandatory and they, they have a high level of enforcement and compliance. There are other areas where the right whales travel that the compliance is not as high and there's work to be done. Rihanna, let me bring you back in because I'm interested to know how CSL is helping to improve the shipping industry's environmental performance, shipboard and ashore. Marine mammal protection has been a central focus for CSL's environmental programs for over a decade now. Initially, our involvement was supporting scientific research, some of the the research that Moira has already mentioned, including the Bay of Fundy, as well as belugas in the St. Lawrence. We were also um, part of developing the Mariner's Guide to Whales in the Northwest Atlantic, which is a guide used by shipping companies to help train crew in whale sighting and data collection, including our own crew on board. And more recently, our marine mammal protection strategy covers both improved detection to help avoid vessel strikes. Um, As I mentioned, the support of the Slocum gliders, which are the submersible drones in the St. Lawrence, as well as reduction of underwater noise, which is a known stressor for whales and impacts their ability to communicate, forage and breed. We've just actually completed a really exciting pilot project with Transport Canada on the underwater noise topic, where we installed a cavitation monitoring device on board one vessel. So cavitation is the production of bubbles from a ship's propeller that increases the underwater noise footprint of a ship. 
And the installation consisted of pressure sensors and an accelerometer to measure the water pressure fluctuations in the direct vicinity of the propeller. And then lastly, it would be remiss of me not to mention another initiative that we've undertaken with other ship owners and some of the universities across Quebec. And that's the installation of a hydrophone array in the shipping channel in the St. Lawrence River. We've just had three vessels transit over the hydrophone in the last week and we've started receiving results which will allow us to compare the ships to the class quiet ship notations as a target to achieve. So it's really a a dual-pronged approach from CSL on the detection of whales to avoid vessel strikes as well as reducing underwater noise. And Maura, can you give us some examples of the conservation measures that you've developed to mitigate the marine industry's effects on the North Atlantic right whale? Though we can't really use gliders easily in the Bay of Fundy because of the currents, they can be used on Rosaway Basin. And one was just deployed. Actually, one of the Slocum gliders was just deployed by uh, a team at Dalhousie University just a couple days ago. And and your listeners can go and look at that. There's a wonderful app online called Whale Map and also Robots for the number four whales. And so I think not only putting these measures in place, but putting in both acoustic in addition to the visual surveys, because, you know, the acoustic surveys are great. They're out there 24-7. They don't worry about the weather. They don't worry about darkness or fog. So it really opens up our ears, if you will, for detecting these animals. Once we figure out where the right whales are setting up for the summer, then there's an additional seasonal slowdown. So the static slowdown is 10 knots or less. The seasonal slowdown is 8 knots or less. And actually, vessels are asked not to go through that area. You can find this all on the Transport Canada website. But then in order to coexist and to try and keep, you know, marine transportation going, there's basically a corridor through the central part of the Gulf of St. Lawrence, the Laurentian Channel and the Honguedo Strait, where vessels can go at normal operational speeds unless a right whale is detected. Well, thank you both. Coming next, we're going to look more at the shipping industry's role in protecting the marine environment. Now, Maura, when you look at busy waters, like, for example, the Gulf of St. Lawrence, presumably right whales aren't the only endangered creatures who are at risk. No, they aren't. So you have the the largest whale on Earth, the blue whale. There have been cases where blue whales have been uh, struck by ships, and they're quite endangered as well. Uh, Fin whales, humpbacks. So the sort of typical large whale species, in addition to right whales, that we find along the east coast of Canada and the U.S., Rihanna, just let's talk for a moment a bit more about what the shipping industry can do to protect the marine environment, whilst, of course, not disrupting shipping operations. I don't think it's a case of not disrupting, but to make sensible choices that prioritise whale protection. So all ship owners should abide by the mandatory and voluntary vessel slowdown programmes, traffic separation schemes and the areas to be avoided. I understand slowdowns and rerouting do have a financial impact on ship and cargo owners, but the value of protecting a whale species and and the critical link they play in in a healthy ocean ecosystem is immeasurable. And Moira, noise is a real issue, isn't it? A ship passing through an area is going to generate noise underwater, whether it's a large cargo ship or it's a fishing boat. There is noise generated from the cavitation of the propeller and the mechanical operation of the engine. And... If it makes, let's say, take a, take an example of a mother calf pair, it makes it harder for them to communicate with one another. They can't hear over as long a, a distance. And there has been some acoustics research done in the Bay of Fundy in past years that showed that the vocalizations of, in this case, North Atlantic right whales were louder when there was background noise. So it's sort of like us going to a noisy place 
or going to a concert. You know, there's a lot of great background noise that we want to hear, but it does make it hard to communicate with your date. So (laughs) I'll jump in on the back of that. I think the topic of underwater noise is gaining momentum at the International Maritime Organization. We do know that the class societies have brought out new notations for quiet ship. So it's it's on the radar and I know Transport Canada is working really hard on what does a quiet ship look like and, and what does the impact of that in the Canadian waters and the impact it has on whales. Um, of course, it's always hard to measure. You need to, you know, ships have different sound at different operating conditions. So lots of work is being done on how do we measure the sound from vessels. Maura, let's talk about um, when you're encouraging marine conservation strategies. How are you attempting to overcome challenges to the solutions which are being put forward? Well, given my experience, it's often awareness of the issue. I think a lot of mariners can well relate to whales in their environment. They love to see them. They don't really want to harm anything in their marine environment, and that's both in the shipping industry and in the fishing industry. Nobody wants to entangle a whale. I quite often find that when I meet people for the first time and start to explain the whales themselves, how we can distinguish between individuals. You know, these whales actually wear their face on the top of their heads. Their callosity pattern that is between their blowholes and the tip of their snout on an area called the rostrum. We can photograph these whales uh, from a boat and take mug shots, essentially, of the left and right sides of the head and some other identifying features. Or we can also photograph them from an aircraft because they really do wear their face on the top of their head. And we compare the boat-based and aerial photographs and track these animals throughout their lives. You know, I have many favorite whales, but one in particular is, is called Gemini, and he has twin scars on his back. And I've been seeing Gemini since 1985 when I first started, when he was just a a juvenile male. And, you know, we we have these great social groups that these whales engage in that looks very much like courtship. We call them surface active groups, and they can be comprised of anywhere from two to 60 whales engaging in some really highly energetic social activity. And these groups tend to get bigger and and more boisterous as we get towards the fall in in September, October. It seems like from our conversation today that, The key here is really coexistence, coexistence between the shipping industry, marine conservation, the right whale. How do you see this evolving in the future, that relationship, Rihanna? Yeah, so the industry has already shown a a high level of cooperation in abiding by those voluntary and mandatory measures that are being put in place. And, And I do believe those programs will continue to evolve and include a broader range of measures and mitigation tools. Moira's already mentioned it as well, whales move. We don't know where the future habitats might be. So making sure that we are adapting and iterating that process, the shipping industry needs to be a participant and at the table for that. Um, And technology will play a really big role in allowing ships to understand their underwater noise footprint in real time and take measures to reduce it. And new ships will increasingly need to meet quiet ship notations of class as well as um, that expansion of the whale detection tools such as underwater drones to help improve dynamic measures and notify ships when they're in close proximity to whales, hopefully leading to a reduction in vessel strikes. I know at CSL we, we really believe in coexistence as the strategy. Our future sustainability as a company relies on the future sustainability of the whale populations in the areas we operate. So we really have to make sure that we're looking at this future jointly together. Moira, would you agree? Oh, no, I would absolutely agree. The kinds of measures that we are putting in place and have put in place over the last couple of decades are a change in how humans go about using the marine environment. These are not measures that are put in place without great deliberation. 
because even amongst my whale biologist colleagues, we do appreciate the cost to the industry. And I think the industry appreciates the cost to the endangered North Atlantic right whale and to other endangered species like the beluga, like the southern resident killer whale on the west coast. Uh, like the blue whales and gray whales and humpbacks, some of those species have rebounded more successfully in the last 30, 40 years. I still hold out lots of hope for the North Atlantic right whale because it has shown that it can rebound and can respond to changing conditions. If we understand the whales, the industry understands their ships and the constraints of their operations. And so we can blend those two together to come up with feasible solutions that do promote coexistence. I can't believe it. That's it for this episode. But it's been an absolutely fascinating, enlightening, insightful conversation. So I'm so grateful to both of you for joining us. Maura, thank you. Thank you very much. And Rihanna, thank you too. Thanks for having me. Do join us next time when we'll continue to discuss the shipping industry with our expert guests. Also, you can subscribe to this series so that you won't miss an episode. From me, Chloe Tilly, from Moira Brown and Rihanna Carver, it's thanks for listening and goodbye. Alongside from Standard Club, back soon 